We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back, everyone, uh, from our uh, two-week hiatus on the Queen City Hoops podcast. Uh, took a little break for uh, you know, the Thanksgiving holiday there, and uh, you know, personal uh, schedules and, and matters, and life gets in the way every now and then. So we're back uh, for our third episode of the podcast here. Uh, so we're going to dive right in here in a second. Uh, I want to welcome in my co-host Richie Randall. How you doing, Richie? Doing pretty good. Yeah, we uh, we missed the podcast last week, and I'm sure the conversations this week are going to be a little bit different than if we had this last week. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the Hornets, you know, they they have some high points. They have some low points. It's kind of been uh, the, the story of the season so far. We pick up this podcast really on the back end of a few low points, which we'll jump into here in a second. Um, but but just to kind of a quick recap, you know, since the last time we've been on this, which has been a while, the Hornets have gone on a mini winning streak, followed by a mini losing streak, which really I think is what we're going to start with. Uh, right now, the team stands at 14-11 overall, fifth in the Eastern Conference. Um, but come we come into this podcast really on the heels of back-to-back losses for the Hornets. Um, they've lost two in a row. That's two of five straight on the road. Uh, that they have so Saturday night in Cleveland and then last night in Indy um, you know Richie you look at these first two games on the road that the Hornets have, have had and I think you know they're in both of these games in Cleveland they have to make a big comeback in Indy they actually lead late into the second half or at least in the third quarter or late in the third quarter there um, what what's one big takeaway that you have from this those two losses again that start two of five straight on the road uh, one thing that I kind of found common in, in both losses, and, and we'll probably talk about this person later on, but uh, Frank Kaminsky was a non-factor in both games. Whether it was his shooting, defending, um, his shots just were not falling. And he kept shooting and shooting and, and trying to get out of that rut, uh, but he continued to miss. And then he couldn't take advantage of, in both games, of smaller opponents defending him in the post. It wasn't really looking good down there either. So he... He was a non-factor, and he almost did more harm than good in both of these games. And then LeBron James just, you know, he just went off against us. Um, He had a near triple-double. He had 17 points in the fourth quarter. Um, So when he he goes on like that, it's kind of tough to defend. Yeah, so let's... um... And we, we will talk about Frank later. Uh, I think there's plenty to talk about there. Um, it was really quite the, the Twitter uh, conversation today with Frank Kaminsky. I mean, there's some stats out there that we'll, we'll point out later, but he's struggling right now, and we will definitely revisit that. Yeah, but let's start with Cleveland Saturday night. Hornets lose that game. Uh, let's see, 116-105 to 105 in a game they trailed big uh, in the first half, and it looked like it almost might be time for Clifford to just kind of put the starters on the bench and, and punt on the game. But, you know, pretty uh, ferocious run there in the third quarter, got him back in the game, got uh, got the deficit down to his closest three. Really looked like the Hornets had a chance to, to, to take the lead at points in that third quarter, early fourth. Um, but like you said, just too much LeBron James. LeBron finishes with 44 points, 7 of 24 from the field. Five of ten from three, and that's really what what kills you with LeBron because that's kind of what you have to give him. Uh, nine rebounds, ten assists, three steals. I mean, the guy 
is just an I mean, he's, he's the best player in the world. I think most would agree that he is still. When LeBron plays like that, and I would say, Richie, that was probably his best game of the season, I think, uh, from top to bottom. Actually, not probably, probably definitely. <laughs> so when, when he plays like that, it's going to be really hard to beat Cleveland. And, you know, I think the Hornets just ran to a little bit of a bus all that night. Disappointingly enough, because both teams were on the heels of a back-to-back, so you thought that maybe the Hornets could muck that game up stay in it late, maybe steal one in Cleveland, which teams have done already this season, but just too much LeBron James. Exactly. And um, he's he's a beast in all areas, and, and especially when it comes to his passing. If he can get other players involved, um, it just makes that team much more difficult to defend. When all eyes are on LeBron James, um, it opens up lanes for shooters for Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy is just impossible to guard. You know, he doesn't need the dribble penetration to kick out the shooters. He can just post you, make one spin move, second defender comes, and the guy's IQ is just too good. His precision on his passing is too good that they swing it after the first rotation. They're going to they're gonna get an open shot every time down the floor. This is also J.R. Smith's first game back from injury. I think he maybe missed two or three games uh, before coming back. Doesn't have a great game, but his two threes kind of does what he does for that team. And the Hornets come out uh, short. Now, they avoided, Richie, and I think this is probably worth mention, yep. uh, mentioning, avoided a huge scare uh, in the – was it the – it was the fourth quarter, I think it was right? fourth. It was fourth. Yeah, I think it was the fourth quarter, yeah. So Kimba bangs knees with LeBron. It was Kimba's left knee, the one that he had a procedure on in May, has had issues with in the past. It really is scare. I, I thought it was worse than it ended up being, and it was – even more disappointing, you know, considering the fact that Kemba goes nine of fourteen, scores twenty-four points. Uh, really, I would say spearheaded that charge in the third quarter for the Hornets. But after the game, Kemba comes out, tells me, "Look, not a big deal. I'll be out there in Indy." He did, in fact, play in Indiana. Didn't look his best, uh, mind you, but but did play. So the Hornets avoid a scare. Anything else that really stuck out to you in this game, Richie? Before we move on to Indiana. Marvin Williams is, is, I think he's picking up his play a little bit, coming back from injury uh, on the defensive end, and as well as shooting. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball too well overall in the game, but in the second half, he kind of picked it up. So um, he's another person just to kind of keep an eye on, because earlier in the season, we were talking about how poor he was shooting, but it might just be a matter of, you know, getting his feet underneath them and, and kind of picking up the steam a little bit. And I, I feel like that's he's kind of on the upward trend here. Yeah, and I and I've, I would agree with you. I've really liked Marvin's energy since he has returned to the lineup. Um, I mean, defensively, he changes what the Hornets can do, just in terms of being able to be a versatile defensive lineup, especially that first five, um, which was such an underrated thing. I think people realized that when Frank had to come in and kind of fill that void for Marvin, the Hornets just weren't as good defensively and did not have uh, you know that versatility. So Marvin has been good since coming back. Another thing I'll say about Marvin, how much energy he has to exert on both ends of the floor, and, and maybe sometimes that's a little bit of an explanation to why he struggles offensively. And he's been a little inconsistent this year. wasn't great offensively in Cleveland. So, again, the Hornets lose that game 116-105, but they fight Cleveland in the second half, come all the way back, and play without Kimba uh, there for half of the fourth quarter um, and really come close to pulling out a win there. Um, so last night in Indiana, and I, I think – to me, this is one of the more disappointing losses of the season. And, and, and were the Hornets at their best? Absolutely not. You know, I thought in, in sequences sequences of this game, they really showed some impressive defensive intensity. But boy, they really let uh, they let the offensive end slip. Uh, the Hornets shoot 33% from the floor, 28 of 84, 38.5% from three, which isn't awful. But, you know, the Hornets just didn't look themselves offensively. And a lot of that had to do with Kimball Walker's struggles. He, he went four of, four of 16 from the floor, scored 12 points, uh, had three turnovers, only five assists compared to those three turnovers. Uh, the Hornets just didn't look themselves offensively, Richie, in this one. And, and I thought that this is a game they really, really needed when you look at the kind of the larger scheme of this five-game road trip that includes – at Atlanta, that includes at Boston, still coming, that includes at Washington. You expect them to drop that one in Cleveland. Hornets have the lead in the third quarter here in Indiana and then really end up getting run off the floor in fourth quarter. So pretty disappointing loss. This game was definitely a game that I, I figured we'd win. I think the, baser, the Pacers had great ball movement, um, and they actually frustrated us uh, when we were on the offensive end, something that you're not really expecting out of this Indiana team who's not known for their defense. Um, you know, Kemba struggled, like we've mentioned, 
Um, a lot of his drives, he was getting blocked, uh, stripped. He had to make difficult shots at the rim. And because we rely so much on Kimba, uh, whenever he has an off game, people have to step up. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Kaminsky was a non-factor. MKG was struggling, and it was just a game of runs. Every time we would get close, whether it was in the second quarter or third quarter, it seems like that Miles or either the Miles, Miles Turner or CJ Miles hit a, hit a clutch three, and we can ne- we could never kind of get over that hump. Yeah, yeah. So a few things, and you, you you know, and just kind of piggybacking off what you said, you know, the first thing is somebody else needs to pick up Kim Slack, which you brought up. I mean. I think we all know who that guy is, Richie. I think that guy should be Batum, right? Right. He, you know, I, I like Batum, and he has, you know, he has versatility that very few guys have in this league. But you look at his stats, and I think this is really a microcosm of his the larger view of his game. He goes four of thirteen from the field, all four made field goals, um, without the whistle being blown and being free throws or three pointers. Um, you know, he can get the ball off the dribble or off a post-up catch or what have you. He can get the ball near the painted area often, but he really doesn't have a plan there outside of two things, either passing out, you know, looking to create, which is great, or number two, drawing the foul and getting to the line. I mean, th- this stat line from Nicholas Batum last night really is a microcosm to the larger problem, and the problem is – you know, when he, when he puts the ball on the floor, gets inside the three-point arc, you know, gets closer to the rim, gets in the painted area, there needs to be a plan for him to score the basketball um, because that has got to become a larger portion of his role in this team. And really in the NBA for him, that's going to increase his value as a player. He's a great distributor. We all know that. But other teams know that. Scouting reports know that. You know, when he he's a, he's a tall guy, he's he's he has a lot of length, he has a lot of skill. When I see him catch the ball anywhere within 10 to 14 feet of the rim, I expect him to have a plan to score it. And and, and you know, I just feel like that's a big part of his game that isn't there. Um, I mean, does that stick out to you? Is sometimes you almost feel more comfortable with him coming off pin down screens and just jacking a three, which he's really good at. But when he gets close to the rim, Richie should not should he not have more of an ability and more of a plan, more of a skill set to go ahead and score the basketball? You would think so, because like when you see Batum score points, it's not very often near the rim. It's it's coming off of screens and, and shooting the shot. He's just a he's just a very passive player, I guess you would call him. Um, he doesn't you know often look for his shot. And if it is, it's like, you know, two games in a row he'll do it, and then five games he won't. So I like that he gets others involved. Um, he has great passing, I mean, at least for the most part. And sometimes it does get a little risky with his passes. He does get others involved, but you just wish that, you know, with his athleticism, his uh, versatility, that he could score other than just kind of off off the screens. Yeah, right. And I, and I think that you know, as talented as this guy is, and as smart of a player as he is, you it would seem like this is kind of a natural next step for his game. And it's one of the reasons that I've always believed in Batum as a player, because you look at all the stuff he can do and how well told he is, and you say, But but man, in the scoring department, you know, you're looking at a player that's just not a complete um he's not a complete player, but he can be. And and so you know, this, it's a negative, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, we're talking about the curse of it, but I think the blessing is that Batum, he's re-signed with Charlotte. You got all these years ahead, and I think he can improve this part of his game, and he's going to need to because Kimba's just taking too much pressure offensively right now. We'll get into all, all this a little bit more uh, later. The other thing I want to talk about, and, you know, it, you kind of talk about it and then you leave it to the side because we sound like uh, – Whiny little girls talking about it, but I feel like Indiana, what they did last night was a little bit of an outlier, right? Like they make 17 threes. I understand they've been shooting well from behind the arc recently um, out of 36 attempts, 47%. But the biggest outlier is Miles Turner, who until last night had attempted 10 threes all year. Is that right? Or maybe he'd taken 10 threes. I don't know. It's It's low either way. Yeah, it's low either way. He makes four of seven last night, and you could tell that the Hornets were overloading on the pick and pops with Turner, the pick and rolls. They were going to blitz Teague, kind of leave Turner, let the rotation man come over, shade him, and he's just hitting those pick and pop threes. So to an extent, you know, it's in the scouting report. Hornets kind of, uh, I think they execute what they wanted to do in those sequences more times than not, and he hurts him. So, I mean, I don't know, Richie, like, 
he's a great player, but I don't think that's something you're going to see from him every night. No, I, I would definitely agree that it's, a, it's an anomaly, uh, kind of what he did and kind of what the Pacers did last night. Uh, he's always had a, a mid-range game, but like you just stated there, his three points, he doesn't attempt a lot or doesn't really make a lot, and we were giving him all the room in the world. I just remember when you know Cody was on, on him a couple times, he would be uh, almost at the free throw line when Miles behind the three-point line. So he took what, what you know he was given, uh, and he, he made some threes, and it was kind of uh, deflating, to say the least. It was definitely deflating, definitely in the fourth quarter, I think, when the Hornets were trying their hardest to get back in that game and, and give themselves a shot. But you know what? At the same token, that's what makes Miles Turner, uh, that's what makes him probably one of the top five to seven players under the age of you know 23 in the entire league So, and, and a player that the Hornets passed on. But we won't go there right now. <laughs> okay, so again, the Hornets dropped their first two of five on the road uh, in, a, in disappointing fashion, really, to end both games. So, all right, let's uh, <clears throat> let's talk a minute about the Hornets' offensive struggles, which have have been real, I think, in the past 10 to 15 games and, and, and were discussed, have been discussed on Twitter and what have you here recently. So in the past 15 games, the Hornets are sporting a uh, not-so-spectacular spe- 102.5 offensive rating. They're 7-8 and eight in those games. Uh, so that 102.5 offensive rating is good for 21st in the league during that stretch. I think there are a myriad of topics that we could really dig into uh, to, to kind of point and say, okay, this is why those struggles are occurring. Richie, what, what jumps off the page at you for really why the Hornets have hit a rut offensively? I think it's just the reliance on Kemba and not everyone is going at the same time. I feel like, you know, you'll have Bellinelli go off for a couple of games. Batum will start looking for a shot for a couple of games. Marvin has his ups and downs. Uh, but I guess the biggest thing is just some of these players like Kaminsky and MKG are just becoming a, a true hindrance to our offense. Not only are they being like a no factor, they're almost having a negative effect on our offense because people aren't respecting them. It's kind of closing up the spacing. And yes, Kemba's a great player. He's going to get to the All-Star game this year, uh, but we cannot rely on him every game. And I know that we don't have a top 10 offense, but we shouldn't be in the 20s uh, with, with the players mm-hmm. that we have. So I guess, I don't know if it's going to take a, a rotation change, uh, Batum to get a little bit more aggressive, or what it, what have you, but the over-reliance on Kemba, I think, is kind of the biggest issue. I would 100% agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, one prong, you see a guy like Kemba who's playing, obviously, at an all-star, an all-star level, and you want as much offensive you know, production to go through him as possible. And the Hornets have definitely accomplished that. Kimba has a 29.5 usage percentage, usage rate this season. So that's 10th in the NBA among players that are a- averaging 30-plus minutes. I mean, that that's high. That's, you know, last year over an entire 82-game sample size, you know, Kimba's you know, usage rate was 20, what was it, 26 and a half. So it's a lot higher. Uh, it's top 10 in the NBA. I think what opponents have found out is that, okay, is it as simple? You know, the Hornets – let me start over. The Hornets have Nick Batum. The Hornets have guys like Marco Bellinelli. You know, the Hornets have guys like Marvin Williams. You know, they have offensive weapons. They have guys that can make shots. They have guys who can make plays. Okay, is it as simple from a scouting perspective to if you take Kimba away – or do your best job to take him away, like Indiana did last night, is this team a totally different team? Or do they have somewhere else to turn? And and I think that from a you know, an eye test, you wouldn't really know what the answer to that is until somebody was able to really take him away. And I think really what we saw last night is that the Hornets don't have another player on the floor, not necessarily that can't take over that role, but they don't have another player on the floor that's willing to take over that role. And, and I, I really think that's that's the key. And we'll talk about even this a little deeper later. But, you know, somebody else on this team, Richie, is going to have to step up and, and and try to score the basketball and take it to the rim and be aggressive and try to get to the foul line. You know, being unselfish is great, but in, in a league that has the best athletes in the world – um, that are committed to taking away your best player on the floor, you better have a backup plan. And I think the Hornets 
might be lacking that backup plan a little bit right now. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've talked about it, but Toom needs to be that backup plan. Uh, but it's just almost not in his personality or his mindset to kind of take over games. I think he has the full capability of doing so, but he's just so passive and wants to get others involved. Now, I will say that his shot has been a little bit down this year, so maybe that's kind of causing uh, the problem in, in him being a little bit more passive um, and trying to get others involved. Maybe he's thinking, okay, if my shot's not on, I'm just going to go back to my old ways of getting others involved. Now, looking at the Hornets team, who really could become a second scoring option or kind of carry the load every so often. And there's really only a couple of guys and maybe in Bellinelli, uh, maybe in Lamb, uh, mm-hmm. Batum clearly, and then in Marvin at times. But those those players that I just mentioned, other than that, I don't know if there's really anyone that we can kind of rely on per se uh, to kind of get us buckets. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think that you know, as well positioned as this team is, and you look across the board, and you look at all these players you like. To your point, you know there there are not a whole lot of guys that can really get their own stuff offensively, uh, along with being able to make the right play and create for others. Um, you know, I I, I agree with you. I think Bellinelli is one of those guys, but he, you know, he needs to play twenty five or less minutes a night. He needs to be there with the second unit to keep it afloat offensively. Jeremy Lamb. You know, uh, yes, you can see it there. There are flashes, but is he ready? You know, is he ready to really go out and run an offense? I would say right now the answer is still no, as good as he still has been, you know, this season. Um, so, so you know, it's a real question. It's a real question for this team. Um, and, again, we'll talk about it here in just a minute, um, you know, with some, with some trade opportunities that will possibly pop up, some trade Um, priorities that this team may need to really look at. Um, But so another thing I found online today, Richie, is I'm just kind of scanning the stats of the offense and trying to figure out what in the world is really causing this outside of Kimba, maybe just not being good, you know, in the last few games. So not one lineup. I looked this up. Roy Hibbert, you know, I'm just going through five-man lineups. Who's doing well? Who's doing not? Roy Hibbert not one lineup that he's featured in has a positive net rating on the season. And I don't think he's really been talked about a whole lot. And and part of that may be because the expectation for him is to come in and protect, you know, to protect the rim, you know, and be, you know, to be a presence defensively, which, I'm, you know, he has been in spots this year. I think you saw Al, Je- Al Jefferson really eat him alive last night, uh, you know, in the third quarter and, Really, when Al Jefferson came in and went on his own eight nothing run, Pacers never looked back. Um, but you know, I think Roy Hibbert is someone we need to start talking about. Of where does he fit in this lineup? Um, I don't know that Hawes belongs ahead of him, and I don't believe that. But there's five lineups that have seen thirty or plus minutes with Roy Hibbert featured in that lineup, and not one of them has a, a you know positive net rating. I think that's probably worth some discussion. Oh yeah, I mean. And when you think of a, a net rating, it's also including defense. So you would think that even though he's not providing much offensively, um, mm-hmm. his defense would kind of make up for the fact of the reason that we brought him in. And I guess, you know, I don't really, I haven't really looked at that stat too intently. And I guess, like you were talking about, the expectation for Hibbert is to come in there, play good defense. He was never in there to create this offensive explosion for the Hornets. Uh, but that is something interesting to look at with with all the lineups that he's been involved in, at least with the significant minutes. He is not he's creating holes on on the offensive end. Well, I think one thing you know that I've thought about is that you know Kimba will typically be one of the first subs, and Batum will play. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of come and go throughout the season, but I've seen Batum left out there with that second unit when Clifford tries to stagger Kimba's. Uh, in Batum's minutes with that second unit. I've seen Batum out there with the second unit more. I think that it might be worth experimenting having Ramon come in earlier, um, you know, having Batum play through the first quarter and having Kimba actually see early second quarter minutes with that bench unit that features Hibbert. Because outside of Bellinelli uh, and, and Lamb, you know, when he's feeling it, Bellinelli's been much more consistent, though. You know, outside of Bellinelli, I don't – I mean the offense is kind of non-existent, you know. So they need a, a 
they need a punch there. So it feels to me like it's time for Clifford to experiment a little bit more Marco Bellinelli, Kimball Walker on the floor together to at least give you two ball handlers around Hibbert. Um, you know, Batum, he just doesn't look for a shot enough. So when he's in there with a bunch of guys who, quite frankly, really don't want to shoot the ball <laughs> outside of, uh, you know, outside of, uh, Marco Bellinelli, you know, it feels like maybe Kimba might be better suited with that, uh, with that group. So that's something to watch. But let's let's talk about. So this is kind of a good segue. Are the Hornets? Is it as simple as are they one score short of being the third seed in the Eastern Conference, possibly even the second if they can catch some fire? I mean, do they need that 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 second gunner? That goes out there, looks for his shots, can initiate offense, can you know, can get baskets at the end of the shot clock when the offense gets a little stagnant, or is it more complicated than that? I mean, I think that if we do get a, a score, whether through a trade or, or someone steps up, I think that we could we could contend for that third seed in the East. I mean, it probably is more complicated than just that. I I also wonder if we need to tinker with our rotations. I feel like, and I I, might, I don't want to go off on a rant here, but I feel like Clifford a lot of times has his like mind made up prior to the game that he has a set rotation of mm-hmm. when, when each person will come in, when each person will come out. He's not very proactive in that sense. Um, so if things start to, you know, go south, he just sticks to the plan and doesn't make those adjustments along the way. I mean, I love Clifford. He's a great basketball mind, but that is the one complaint that I have about him. And with a team like the Hornets who have little room for error, once when we get behind, uh, it, it might be too late when we kind of put our starters in in the fourth quarter or, or you know, however we stagger our rotations. That's one thing that I wish that Clifford would do is kind of tinker with their rotations. It may not be as simple as just getting another player, uh, but hopefully Clifford starts to see these things with the offense and kind of pairs players together that actually would be productive on offense. Rant, Richie, ran away. <laughs> I mean, trust me, I think you speak for a lot of Hornets fans right now. We, you know, what it, it's, it's like a dichotomy because what you like about Clifford is the fact that he has, you know, he's come in, he's implemented this structure, this culture, this way to play, right? That's that's hard to find in the NBA. Um, but the other side of that is that the same thing rings true, you know, in the rotation, which is what you're talking about. And you feel like, especially on the offensive end of the floor, he could get more creative. Um, so I, I totally agree with you. I think everyone sees that. Um, I think part of that is because, you know, the hand he's been dealt, uh, you know, the cards he has to play with, they're just limited, you know, and, and you, you look at a guy like Jeremy Lamb, who's probably the wild card here. Yep. And I just don't know that, that Clifford really trusts him enough yet, you know, as good as he's gotten. And you did a great job. Uh, the day before yesterday of kind of painting the picture of, of Jeremy Lamb and how he's emerged as a really one of the scorers off the bench for the Hornets. But, you know, it, his, we're still waiting on his arrival. We're still waiting on that guy to come in and, and you know, play alongside Marco Bellinelli where Batum and Kemba can get rest and those two can run the team. You know, and he's just simply not there yet. Well, here's the issue too, and this is – kind of going off my previous point with Clifford, he only plays, at least recently, he only plays the second and, and fourth quarters. Like, just just take it, just watch it next time. He only plays the second mm-hmm. and fourth quarters. So if, if, he, if he's starting to get into a rhythm and then Clifford has these predetermined rotations and he comes out, or if he's struggling, it's hard to get a rhythm to begin with if you're only going in for, you know, 10-minute spans in the, in, the, in the second quarter and the fourth quarter, whatever it may be. So I just think the rotation thing needs to be looked at as well, not necessarily the personnel. Yeah, right. So <clears throat> I totally agree with you, and you're right. And that's a great observation. You only play second and fourth quarters, and you feel like, okay, is it like is this literally going to be like this <laughs> all year long, or can we get a little bit more creative? Now, to Clifford's credit, you know, and I'm just trying to be fair here, you know, you look at a game like the Cleveland game. Bellinelli literally can't miss. I don't think he missed through three quarters of that game. And so <clears throat> MKG doesn't play, which I think was the entire fourth quarter, uh, because Clifford's playing the hot hand. So he's getting the right guy in the game uh, to try to come back and win that game. So, you know, it goes both ways. But, Richie, again, I think you I think you speak for a lot of Hornets fans that wish Clifford would get a little bit more, um, you know, maybe just – 
maybe just follow his gut a little bit more and play the hot hand more often than he actually does. Because you're right, if things are going wrong, he's going to stick to the script. Obviously, if things are going right, there's nothing to worry about. But um, with a team that seems to probably be more offensively uh, challenged than maybe we thought they would be coming into the year, um, you know, he's going to have to get creative and he's going to have to try different lineups and he's going to have to try different sets and he's going to have to try Kim off the ball. So that means who handles the ball more. So there's all these things that Clifford's going to have to get really creative with. And yes, you speak for much of Hornet nation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that he does get a little rigid at times and I just, I just wish it would change just a little bit. All right. So we'll stay on the offensive thing. But probably dabble into the defensive thing with this player a little bit. Um, Frank Kaminsky, he's been a hot topic here recently, and and not for a good reason. The inconsistencies continue, and boy, are they inconsistent to a level that is almost make your, you know makes you want to pull your hair out. Um, again, last night he is not good in Cleveland. He was not good. Richie, what's the answer here? Because I don't think anybody can really figure it out. Yeah, I'm not sure there is a, a clear-cut answer. I'm sure if we had this podcast a week ago, he did have a little spurt when when uh, he had you know maybe three or four or five consecutive games where he scored double digits, um, and you you thought maybe he was turning the corner. Uh, but recently, he has just been a non-factor. Um, and we've had this conversation before through Twitter, like what what position is he? Where is he going to excel the best at? But regardless of what position we're talking about, Kaminsky is doing several things poorly uh, that's shooting the ball he's not stretching the defense uh, three-point shooting uh, is down from last year and last year wasn't the greatest uh, so this year he's shooting 28 percent from downtown he's attempting about four or five a game so uh, a little bit too much uh, downtown shooting for someone that's shooting 28 percent he has shown glimpses that he can shoot from outside um, and I remember going to the Knicks game and he was the last one out, you know, warming up for three. So he he puts in the work. I kind of just hope that he kind of develops that three, that at least we just kind of want to get it back to where it was last year. Um, and then defensively, uh, it's always a struggle with him, uh, guarding out on the perimeter and then guarding down low. Even the, the smaller guys are kind of having their way with him. So there's so many things that we could talk about with Kaminsky. Uh, but the biggest thing to me is just a non-factor on offense. Yeah, it's it's been pretty amazing how much he has struggled here recently. And and I think the most amazing part is he's struggling, you know, wide open threes. And I, I can tell you, I didn't quite understand just how bad it was um, until Chris Kroger uh, on uh, on Twitter actually kind of cited just how bad he was today. So Brian uh, Gessinger, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, at – B-G-E-I-S underscore bird on Twitter. You should follow him because he's got some really good stuff on the Hornets on there. Um, so Frank Kaminsky has shot 85 open open three-pointers. So that's almost four per game this season. No defender within four feet of him is how you define open three-pointer. He's made 25 of them. So that's 29% on the season. Open three-pointers, Richie. Um, I play some pickup basketball every now and then. Uh, I don't stretch it to the three-point line of the NBA very often, but I could probably sniff with 29% if uh, if I was left wide open. So those numbers are perplexing um, and, and very, very scary. And like you said, we just want to see him flirt with last season's numbers. But, I mean, a number like that makes him unplayable almost. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he— if, if, especially if he's not offering anything on defense, he's kind of brought in there to kind of spark some things offensively. And 85 attempts being wide open, that, that has to be the majority of his three-point shots. I don't know off the top of my head how many attempts he's shot from three-point line. Right. But 85, right. That, that has to be, that has to be I don't know, 75, 80% of his, of his shots. So if he's not making his open shots, when he starts getting them contested, or I wonder if it's a byproduct of him not making them. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think it's a few things here, you know, because this is kind of going down to a rabbit hole that's interesting. Um, number one, teams are a little bit scared of closing out on Frank because he is really good at, at attacking the closeout. That's true, and I, and I think he showed that last year. You know, he has that, you know, almost that Boris deal, like one dribble, two dribble. Okay, got a defender coming here. I spin. Now I back you down a few dribbles. Now I spin again. Five dribbles later, I'm right at the rim. Like that's one of the things that he can really do, um, but. 
if you're hitting 29% of wide open three point shots, it's one of two things. You don't want to take that shot or your confidence is just completely shot um, and just completely disappeared. So Charlotte has got to figure out that with Frank and, they, and they've got to get him working on that. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, you know, the Mark Price situation where you, you get a shooting coach in there working him but is is often i mean again to your point he's taking 85 of them right so like teams aren't really worried about him taking them if you're getting that many looks and and steve clifford's gonna play you this many minutes gotta figure out a way to knock down a higher percentage of them so i don't know what the answer is there but the hornets are gonna have to figure that out um number one for their own offensive efficiency and and hope of where this season actually goes and number two to justify (laughs) the decisions they made to actually pick them where they did in the lottery a few seasons ago, which I always thought was the wrong pick. Looks like I'm going to be right. and Many other people are going to be right. But yeah, his play has been really, really, really bad. Well, I mean, I'll first made that I said I wanted Winslow over him, but I don't, I don't know if that's a much better pick uh, considering how he's turned out too. So, um, and I know that other players or other people have wanted other players in the draft, but I, I wanted Winslow and we didn't draft Winslow um, and then he's not really doing that much better. So I'm, we, we can talk about this forever, but I think we should maybe move on from Kaminsky. Yes. So I think a lot of people want Winslow in that spot. And, you know, what would have Winslow been on this team? You know, probably not great, especially from an offensive standpoint. I don't know how him and Michael K. Gilchrist, you know, quite possibly the two, you know, two of the worst offensive players in the NBA actually exist on the same roster. But you just look at what they passed up from Boston and <clears> – <throat> You know, it, it, it becomes clear every day, I think, that the Hornets, you know, really did not do a good job with that draft pick. And the word, and I definitely believe it, it was that Michael Jordan, that was his pick. That's who he wanted. You know, he wanted to draft Frank Kaminsky. You know, Jordan's got to delegate the drafting stuff better. I mean, he just does. And I think this is just another case study uh, and another example of why that has to happen. And so you're right, Richie, let's not <laughs> live in the past. When you start talking about Bobcats and Hornets, bad draft picks, you could do an entire you know, Christmas edition, six-hour podcast on that. But uh, all right, so Frank Kaminsky, he's struggling. He needs to improve, or the Hornets are going to have to, unfortunately, make some, some rotation um, changes. Uh, and you might even hear his name start to pop up in some trade uh, ideas, rumors. We'll wait to, to see if that rings true. Um, all right, let's, let's take a minute, Richie, to appreciate, and we've talked about it a little bit tonight, Marco Bellinelli, because damn it, that guy deserves it. <laughs> he has been unbelievable this year and has obviously been worth the trade that the Hornets made, and everybody called him crazy. We've already talked about that as well in past podcasts. But man, how good has Marco Bellinelli been? And without him on that second unit, that's like a fake second unit in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he kept us in the game uh, first quarter last night between him and Hibbert at the end of that first quarter. Um, that deficit would have definitely been larger. Yeah, I mean, the, we've talked about the trade. I think I think we can you know, clearly say now that we've, we've won that trade, or at least we didn't lose that trade. I really do like his play. Very heady player, very smart. He can do so many things on the basketball court, um, whether it was with the dribbling, the passing, he just he just seems to make the right play. Um, I remember I cannot remember if it was it was Cleveland or if it was Indiana, uh, but he was coming off a screen, and both the uh, both his defender and the screener's defender came out on him, and he caught the ball, and in one motion made the pass down to the screener. I, w- I think it was Hibbert, and Hibbert went up for the easy layup because he draws attention sometimes coming off those screens. So he adds a lot to the Hornets. I'm so glad that that we picked him up. And I know a lot of people were kind of frustrated and upset with that trade, uh, you know, that draft trade. Uh, but he's, he's turned out to be a great second unit player. He's picked up his shooting from last year. Uh, definitely. He definitely deserves credit uh, for this Hornets team. No doubt about that. And Marco Bellinelli, is, he's a top 10 three-point shooter in the NBA right now in terms of uh, three-point percentage. You know, he's probably a sneaky candidate to get into three-point shooting contests. Um, as we stand today and and to your point you know he draws a lot of attention coming off those pin down screens coming off those pin down stagger screens I mean he is going to draw help and if the right uh you know screen or rolls or pops he's going to have a wide open look so you know Bellinelli adds he adds a lot 
He adds a lot, and I think that's why you've seen him more with the first unit late in games is because you know he gives them a different dynamic. He, he draws more attention. He opens up things for other guys, even like Kimba, I think, in some circumstances, um, that wouldn't usually see that opportunity. So you know what he's done for this Hornets team so far this season is, is nothing short of miraculous. Um, and, 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 you know, without him, again, on this second unit, I, I just don't know what it is. I don't know if it's not just a glorified uh, NBA D-League second unit. I mean, that's how good and understated Marco Bellinelli has been uh, for the second unit so far this year. Um, so <clears throat> Michael Kidd Gilchrist, kind of on, on the flip side of things, a guy who, you know, gives you everything he can defensively every night. Um, you know, he's, he's struggled yet again offensively this year. And, and there's always conversation out there. I think um, among national people, among Hornets fans of, okay. So like, we know he's still young. We know he still has plenty of room for development. You know, we love his effort level, but like at what point in time can the Hornets number one, turn to him late in the game and say, we're comfortable with you being on the floor. But, you know, again, like it's kind of the Batum conversation we had earlier, Richie, like unless he's going to the basket and really looking to draw a foul, it's almost like there's zero offensive toolbox. So, so what are you seeing recently from MKG and what, what thoughts are, are going through your head as you're watching him play? And do you ever ask yourself, is it worth it? I like MKG. I mean, I really do. And I, I, not to the extent where I'm like, okay, yeah, he needs to be on the floor at the end of the game. I don't expect that. I, don't, I actually don't want that. Like, I, I, you know, I'm expecting to see a Bellinelli at the end of the game or a, or a Lamb or whoever it may be in, in, in replacement of MKG. Just because at the end of the game when we need those points, it's probably not going to come from him. So um, he's just has had inconsistent uh, shooting, and he's never been a great shooter. And in this three-pointers this year, hasn't made a single one, I don't believe. Uh, his mid-range shot has been up and down. At least if he could develop a mid-range shot, you would think that there would be some kind of space created. Um, he's shooting 30% on 53 attempts from the mid-range area. Um, so the majority of his points are coming at the basket, whether it's through free throw lines, you know, driving off of misses. Um, he does get to the basket and loves to attack. And I love that about him. But if he's not creating space on the on the floor because his shot's kind of you know, up and down throughout the year, um, he he's not going to see the court at the end of the game, and he shouldn't. Uh, but I will say, I will say that I still love him on the defensive end. As much as people, you know, bring up the stat about the fact that he's been outscored these past couple of games, well, cl- I think anyone can outscore MKG. Um, <laughs> defensively, he's still holding opponents below their their field goal percentages. Yeah, I, I mean, I think his, you know, I think fans watch MKG sometimes and they see Paul George get the better of him or what appears to be the better of him. Carmelo Anthony, get the better of him. LeBron James, get the better of him. You know, but think about the names that I'm saying right now. I mean, those are the hardest guys in the entire world to guard. I mean, MKG isn't, I mean, he's not a wall, you know, that, that blocks off everything leading to the paint is it, it, highly regarded as he is on defense. Um, so it, it, there's no harder worker than him. I think people understate, you know, his energy and what he actually brings to the Hornets in terms of an effort level. I mean, that what he does is very contagious on the basketball floor, um, you know, and I think that 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 is probably something you can't quantify and is never going to show up in statistics. And by the way, Richie, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I, I like MKG, too. Trust me, he is a coach's dream. Every guy that has ever coached on any level of basketball dreams of coaching a guy who is committed as he is. Now, you know, is he an aesthetically pleasing player to watch uh, on the game of basketball? Not most of the time because he just doesn't score the ball, to your point. But, you know, I I mean, you look at some of his stats this year. I mean, one of the positives is he's getting to the foul line uh, at a high clip. He's getting there three and a half times per game, and he's shooting 75%, which is a career high for him. You know, from the field, you know, he's 44%, which is, you know, far from a career high. In, in fact, it's a career low, you know, really for MKG. Uh, but he's taken more field goal attempts this year. And, you know, really, I think his game is continuing to develop. Now, what the ceiling is, I don't know. You know, with four years in the NBA and it, it really you've seen little progression from him on the offensive end of the floor, I don't know what his ceiling is. 
But I do know that he's really important to this Hornets team, and he makes up such a, a large quadrant of what their actual personality is, and that he is the perfect counterpart to a guy like Steve Clifford, who wants his team to get to hang their hat on the defensive end. So it's a really it's a tough conversation, I think, to have as a Hornets fan. Um, I don't think the national media will ever have it fairly because they just don't watch enough of any one team. But I think when you watch this team every night, I think you understand how important he really is um, to the DNA of what makes up the Charlotte Hornets. And yes, as much as you would love to see him turn a corner offensively and, and demand a little bit more attention from the opponent on that end. You know, I don't know that that's going to be the case. Um, but I think you live and die with MKG, and I think the Hornets are committed to him. And, uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, to answer my own question, I think it is worth it. Any, any kind of final thoughts there? Because I feel like it's just been a conversation a lot recently, Richie. Yeah, I mean, I, the final thoughts is I, I wouldn't want to lose him. I think that, you know, he's he's great for our starting lineup. He's great in situational um, circumstances when he's playing with the bench. I wouldn't want to lose the guy. He definitely wouldn't be in my trade conversation, at least not at the top of the list. I like him on our team. Just know that he's not going to be on the court at the end of the game. That's just kind of my expectations. So that's interesting. And so let, let's mention that one thing you you talked about there in that last statement, trade conversations. So from where you stand, do you think he is untouchable as other teams are calling the Hornets? I don't think he's untouchable, but I wouldn't give him up for, you know— he, I think I would acquire more back than maybe most people would. And I think if we lost MKG, I, I, I do think that we would see a dip defensively clearly, um, especially at the basket. I guess it's not a touchable. I just would require a little bit more. Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't think he's untouchable either. And, you know, I wonder <laughs> – I wonder what kind of trades could actually be at Charlotte's disposal if they made him available. Because I, you know, I don't, I doubt that the Hornets are having open conversations about Kate Gilchrist being "quote unquote" available, um, just because that would give away their leverage, right? Like they they want to tell other teams that yeah, he's untouchable. Like you're going to have to bring us the house if you want to, you know, if you want to acquire this guy. But you know he has a salary with where the CBA, you know, with you know what the salaries are about to be in the NBA once again. Like he's thirteen million through two thousand and twenty, uh, with the player option in the final year of that. You know, for what that guy brings to the floor, and, and only being twenty three years old, you know, and all the I mean, everything he does, and, and where he could what he could grow to be. That's that's a pretty awesome contract, and so it's definitely really tradable. You know, I think it's time to start having the conversation, or at least entertain the idea of the fact if the Hornets are really serious about like trying to flirt with top four in the East and just seeing if they can kind of stumble in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, I would not be totally shocked if if they did make you know if he was involved in some pretty serious conversations come the trade deadline this season. Um, you know, not saying it's going to happen. They have plenty of time to play with considering these under contract until 2020. But, you know, Richie, I, I think that's a contract a lot of the teams would probably look at uh, and say, yeah, and especially a lot of teams that are rebuilding and saying, wow, there's, one, there's a guy that we're actually really interested in taking the swing on. So, you know, I think as time progresses – and if the Hornets continue to stay in this top five, top four, you know, maybe even top three Eastern Conference playoff on here, I think it could come up. Yeah, I mean, I think the contract, like you stated, is a very tradable contract. But then also in the same token, um, it's a very nice contract to have for the production that you get on the defensive end with MKG. I'm not sure you can find someone that would offer that defense at that rate or at least some kind of uh, notable quality at that rate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more of me probably just wonders what what can you get for him? You know, and, and I and I don't really know that people you know, people could talk on Twitter and tell you that they know what his market is, you know, and, and what you can get for him in a trade, but I don't really think anybody has any clue. Uh and, and that's interesting because I think for a lot of you could go down a lot of guys in this roster and you could say, Okay, 
here's the market for this guy in a trade. Here's here's the haul coming back to you. MKG is one of those guys where I don't really know that you can put your finger on just exactly what other teams value him as. Um, so it's interesting, you know, on a high-powered offensive team. Is he a completely different player? You know, maybe he is. I don't know. I think we have gotten through a lot of stuff tonight, Richie. And unless you have anything else, I think we'll let these folks kind of ride into Christmas. Anything else we've left out? No, I think we're good. All right, perfect. On behalf of Queen City Hoops and Richie Randall and myself, uh, thank all you guys for listening once again. Uh, if, you, if you don't read Queen City Hoops, please do. Uh, so we're at queencityhoops.com. You can get weekly previews, all your game recaps. You can find all of our podcasts there on our website. Uh, and obviously, we we, uh, we thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Richie, where can folks find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud? Yeah, if you just visit both of those sites, um, SoundCloud and iTunes, if you would search it, just search QCH Podcast, um, and it will come up. So if you're wanting to listen to it into the car, that's where I listen to my podcast. You want to go to the iTunes. Uh, but if you don't mind listening to it while you're, you know, you're working or on your laptop or on your computer, just go to SoundCloud and search QCH Podcast. All right, sounds good. So again, we might be back next week before the Christmas holiday, but with everybody's schedules, you know, I think that's probably a little bit up in the air right now. Um, might not be, so we might see all you guys after Christmas. But again, thank you for listening. Uh, go to Queen City Hoops for all your Hornets coverage. And until next time, Hornets fans, see you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.